Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. So we are going to be uh, dedicating Joel Williams, which is a wonderful thing to do today. Is, is he in the room? He's in the room, yeah. So granddad has him. This is what happens. Uh, grandparents come and suddenly... Oh, so, and then there's inner battles um, with grandparents wanting to hold and different ones I want to hold now. Um, so what we're going to do, I'm just going to explain what we do here. Um, we kind of... try and do the same kind of thing because we want to make the same point every time we dedicate a child to God. So I'm going to go through that. We'll then get Peter and Lucy up and to pray with them and the family can come up and just stand with them. And uh, after that, then I'll just just speak uh, for a little bit. But um, the dedication, why are we doing it? Why why have they invited you to this moment um, to dedicate their uh, child? Um, We've come together to celebrate with them. That's the first thing, that Joel was born healthy and well and, uh, and Lucy was fine and all those things. Um, it's a day that will bring happiness and smiles. It's a moment to forget the nappies, the sleepless nights and the bags under the eyes. And if you know Pete and Lucy, they're very organised about those things, but even Joel at times, I imagine, does his own thing because that's what children do. So why do we do dedications? Parents choose to dedicate their children. This is what they're doing, whether or not they have thought through every one of these things. This is what's happening when we do it in this church. First of all, we want to recognise that children are a gift from God. Yeah, And we never want to forget that. We never want it to be this assumption that children just kind of happen. No, they are a gift from God. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, children are a blessing and a gift from the Lord. And we understand that all good gifts come from God, including our families, our children. They're a gift, they're not a right, they're a blessing, they're not a problem. Even though there are moments when you can be challenged by those things, they are in reality a gift, not a right, a blessing, not a problem. And we believe ultimately they are God's anyway and that we kind of look after them for him rather than we look after them for us. They have been entrusted into our care for a season. And so when we dedicate our children to God, it's an act of worship of saying, God, we, we thank you for this child and we give this child back to you. And that should be the pervading attitude of parents with your children. The second thing that they are doing and we are doing is we are asking God to bless Joel. We're asking God to bless him that as, his, as he grows up that he will be blessed. The Bible says, let the ch- Jesus says, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. People who are like these children belong to the kingdom of God. And uh, yeah, and so he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. And it's good to pray for a blessing upon your children. It's a thing that I would encourage all parents to do. Pray for your children. Pray for your children. Pray that God will bless them. Pray that God will be with them. Then thirdly, um, 
uh, Peter and Lucy are making a vow, I suppose, a commitment to God and to us in this kind of public setting that they will bring Joel up as best as they can in the ways of the Lord. That's what they're wanting to do. They're not, it's not a random thing. It's not just, oh, if we do this moment, it will be okay. No, we will do what we can. And as a church, we will do what we can. And I suppose believing parents and grandparents will do what they can to ensure that Droll is raised in the ways of God, that he understands something of God as he is raised, so that there will come a point in his life when he will commit himself to that. That's what they want. And I've had that with all three of my girls. And it's a wonderful feeling when you realise, oh, they, they love Jesus for themselves. They don't just come to church because I come to church, that there is something now personal. And you always want to encourage that. And then the final thing that we are all doing as a church and as the wider family is promising to play our part. That you can't, no matter how good you are, and Peter and Lucy are good, they're efficient. Yeah? <laughs> this couple make things happen. You know, you go to their house, they've got a baby, but you would not know it. The toys are all neatly packed in the corner. Yeah? There's, Lucy's always sprightly. I'm sure she's not always, but whenever, she's always sprightly. But even with the best of parents, you need help. You cannot raise your children alone. Yeah, you can't do it. Yeah, there will be a point where you go, I need some support. And that's where, and obviously when you've got grandparents who want to hold their baby, you know you've got support there. That's good. Yeah, but other people get involved. Yeah, we raised our kids in the midst of a community. And what that does for your children is it gives them confidence uh, in relating to lots and lots of different types of people. And many children don't have that privilege and that grace of being raised in the, in the context of a community, a wider community. But we, as the community here at Beacon, are making our own commitment to Peter and to Lucy and the family that we will play our part in raising their child. Yeah, it takes a village to raise a child. So when you have lots of children, you need lots of villages, yeah? <clears throat> so that's what we're doing. <clears throat> just a couple of things on what we're not doing. Yeah, just so you're really clear, we're all really clear. We are not making Joel a Christian, yeah? Joel does not become a Christian by this means or method. It's a very helpful means and method to lead him, hopefully, to faith, but he will not become a Christian through this process. Becoming a Christian is a decision that Joel will hopefully make as he gets older when he himself, his heart is warm towards Jesus himself and he, he comes to that place where he says, I want to follow him for myself. I want to make him Lord. So we're not making him a Christian and we are not simply just following tradition. Oh, this is how it works. This is what you do when you're a Christian. This is the way it works. We're not simply doing that. I'm not saying those traditions are necessarily bad, but we are not simply doing that. Every time we do it, it is new, it is fresh, it is right for that family. And that's what we're doing here today. So the way we do it, it's, it's, it's really a very simple thing. We can ask Peter and Lucy to come out with Joel. Now I kind of, I know Joel a tiny bit. I do. <clears throat> I don't know all the children, I'll be honest. But Joel. Whoa. Yeah. So this is Joel. He is a, he's a lad, isn't he? He's a bit of a lad. He's going to be, you know, 19, walking in bare-chested with a necklace. And, yeah. Lucy's, no, please. But, yeah, this is Joel. Joel's a real cutie. 
Okay, so we're going to pray for them. So if you are here particularly uh, with uh, Peter and Lucy, I want you to come out if you're like family or in the church. or I want us just to come out and just surround Peter and Lucy. Um, if you're a Christian, we're praying. If you're not a Christian, you're just standing with them. You're supporting them. So that's what you're doing. So the family, be great for you to come out. Some of the Christian family, some of the church, why don't you come out as well at this moment? And I, I just want to encourage you to uh, stand with them, but also just to appropriately just lay hands on them and let's just all begin to pray. This is us saying we are committed to you. Yeah? So, so maybe Pete and Lucy need to be in the middle rather than at the front. And people come round them. And they come round them. It's good for them to know that they're supported. And so why don't we just pray... I encourage you all just to pray for them at this point. John, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Say hello, John, to everyone. So I'm just going to look very briefly at a passage in Matthew chapter 18. I think either, I'm sure I have or even Phil has referred to this passage before in this kind of context. I'll read the first 14 verses of Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them and he said, truly I, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble... Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven are always, always see the face of my father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Let's pray.
Father, we do thank you for uh, such a day as this, that a community gathers and celebrates the birth of a child, and this child is received with such warmth and gladness. And Lord, we pray that you will go with him all the days of his life. We pray you will give uh, Peter and Lucy such wisdom and discernment and grace in the raising of Joel. And we pray that we will all play the part assigned to us in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Just to note this passage in Matthew is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's not speaking about the world. He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to the disciples. And I think as we go on, we'll see why that is very important for us to note. And that's helpful for us. All I'm going to do really is I'm just going to pick out some thoughts from this particular passage. The first thing I want to mention is um, the disciples come to Jesus and say, who is the greatest? And it's interesting that they do that. We probably feel a little bit, oh my goodness, I can't believe that they did that. That, that, That Jesus, they're with Jesus and they're talking about who's the greatest among them. And you realize that that kind of conversation for them was natural. It wasn't like they were deliberately trying to sin. It was a natural thing, yeah? And if you think about it, we might not use the term the greatest, but we are very much into being individual. There is a, sometimes a competitive edge to us that sometimes can look really, really nice. And it doesn't always look horrible, competition. But sometimes there is a competition that's about, there's, you know, am I better than my neighbour? All of those kinds of things. They, they exist, Somebody walks into church and you think, oh, and you get envious. You think, oh, God, I don't even know where that came from. The disciples are talking about who is the greatest. It betrays something in them. It betrays an independence. It betrays an individuality and it betrays an inward-looking nature of their lives, which in many ways is not not very different to our lives. Yeah? It's not like oh, man, the disciples needed to learn something here, and we don't, yeah? If we're honest, we need to learn about independence, individuality, and inward-lookingness, yeah? We may not say to Jesus directly, Jesus, who's the greatest? Yeah, I've, I've never said that to Jesus. So, so if I base this on the word, I'm okay. I've never said to Jesus, who's the greatest? How, how could they do that? Well, probably in a million other ways I have said it. Yeah, I may not have used those words, but I have said that. And it's interesting, Jesus' response to them, he talks about the child, but he uses this phrase, unless you change. This is why I say it's probably natural for them to think this way. Who is the greatest? Who's the best? Who's the biggest? Who's this? Who's the brightest? Who's the strong? Who is it? Yeah, Jesus says to them, unless you change and that's a very helpful thing that Jesus says because it reminds us that for us to avoid this very same kind of way of thinking about independence individuality and inward lookingness we need to change something needs to happen it doesn't just happen it's not like oh some of us are just not like that some of us are a little bit more you know we're just a little bit more sharing and caring No, we're we're not more sharing and caring. These things are written because this is what human nature is like. And the way they are is the way we are. 
And so Jesus makes this challenging statement, unless you change. And I want to make that statement because it might be that for you, you've grown up in your life, maybe you've grown up Christian, maybe you've not grown up Christian, but actually you've not changed. Yeah? You still struggle with exactly the same things you struggled with. You still do the things that you used to do. The dreams that you once had, you don't have because everything you've just sort of carried on. You've not changed. You've not allowed God to change you. Yeah, because when he talks about unless you've changed, it's not so much that, oh, I need to just try really harder to be less independent. I've just got to try. Yeah, trying doesn't actually bring it about. It frustrates you. Yeah, how many of of you try to be independent? I, I try to do certain things. I try not to sleep when I watch telly. I try. Yeah, I sit there. Yeah, but I can't do it. Yeah, I can't do it really, really hard. It just... It just happens. <laughs> yeah, even last night, I'm there with Paulina. I know she gets frustrated with it. And I'm there. I, 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 it happens. I wake up and think, what were we watching? Yeah? It's very difficult to change yourself. So when Jesus talks about this, he's not talking about your ability to change you. He is talking about your willingness to be open for him to change you. That's what he's talking about. When he uses a child as an example, uh, that that's how we should behave, it's the recognition that there needs to be changed. But there's also the recognition of what a child is like. Yeah? Children have this kind of innocence, this kind of humility. They, they're not worried about asking questions. You know, when they get hurt, they still run to mummy or they run to daddy. Often when we get hurt, we blame mummy or daddy. Yeah? We blame God for hurt. We don't run to him when we're hurt, we blame him. We need to become like children. That's what Jesus is saying. Unless you change and become like a child. And then it's very challenging what he says. If you don't do that, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. So they're discussing who's the greatest, who's the best, who's the strongest, who's the fittest, who's the, who's the whatever. That's what they're discussing And Jesus recognises, yeah, this is human nature, this is what you're going to discuss, but unless you change, you'll miss out. And then he goes on to say, and this is interesting, that this is how God, Jesus being God, this is how God speaks. If anyone causes one of these little ones to sin. I found that really interesting because he put such a responsibility on, remember, he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the believers. He's not just talking out there generally to the crowd. He's talking to his followers. If anyone causes any of these to sin. And then when you think about it, you don't need to think about it for very long to realise that for each of us, there is a responsibility. There is something incumbent upon us not to cause others to sin. And here it's talking about the little ones. And obviously, part of that is talking about children, but it could be people who are young in the faith. It could be people who are vulnerable in the faith. If you do anything that causes others to sin, and by sin, it's not necessarily talking about, oh, yeah, you know, I led them away and then we committed robberies and burglary. No, I'm not talking about that kind of sin. But my actions, have they led people to unbelief? 
Have my actions led people to become more selfish? Have my actions led people to become more disappointed in leadership or whatever it is? And Jesus speaks very strongly to people who cause other people to sin. And what he says, and you think, oh, did Jesus really say these words? If anyone causes one of these little ones, and it then says specifically, who am I talking about? Those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung round their neck and to be drowned. I'm like, did Jesus say that? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, better for them. He takes very seriously the responsibility that is there incumbent upon disciples to help others in faith. So when we gather around Joel, there is something about us being able to ensure we lead Joel towards God, not away from God, towards him, that we open up his heart. And how's he going to see that? He's partly going to see that through our hearts. Yeah? If you're open to God... It's likely your children will be open to God. If you're not open to God, then maybe by his grace they will be, but it will only be by his grace. If anyone causes them to sin, there is a responsibility that is upon us and very much upon leaders, the the likes of me, to ensure that I do not set things up so that people are taken away from God, rather they're led towards him. And Jesus speaks that to the disciples. It also, the passage goes on to talk about sins that we commit ourselves and it goes on to talk about the sins of the world, that that the world causes people to sin. Let's not be those that cause them to sin. You know, one of the things that I always, um, raising my girls, three girls, Paulie and I, and uh, yeah, being in a house of girls was was interesting. It meant that um, uh, I loved football, but they didn't really. And so, so uh, whereas next weekend I might try and watch the FA Cup final, sometimes I think I missed out. Yeah, sometimes. Um, uh, but sort of, so raising girls, one of the things that I always wanted in our home was that for them, home would be a place of peace. It would be a place where they could be comfortable because the world didn't offer those things. Yeah, but they could come home. Now, okay. After a while, they just get a little bit too comfortable, yeah, a little bit too chilled, a little bit too, oh, don't worry about it, mum and dad. No, no, we do worry about it. Yeah, you can get a little bit too like that. But it was always our intention that we would create a place and create a place that caused them to at least look to God. At least they would give him a, you know, is it real? And that we would live in such a way that that's what they would do. And then Jesus goes on to talk about, uh, it's very interesting, uh, I'd not really even noticed it before, when he says towards the end of the passage, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that they're angels in heaven. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Jesus says, talks about these little ones having angels in heaven. And then, you know, where do you go with that? Because I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna talk. what do I believe about that? But I can't deny that because that's what he says. He says, they're angels 
in heaven. And so uh, as I thought about it and as I did a little bit of looking around the scriptures, you realise there are many occasions that talk about angels and people. Yeah, It's not the only place where, where there is this correlation made between angels and people. Remember, he's talking to disciples, he's talking to believers, and one of the things he talks about is angels. He talks about angels. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Yeah? There is some connection between us being believers, disciples of Jesus, and angels. And it's not just that they fly with pretty wings. It's not that. There is some connection in how we live with angels. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about angels being ministering spirits to serve those who will inherit salvation. Yeah? Angels are there to serve the believers. Angels are there to serve the believers. In Luke 4, when, when the devil tempts Jesus, and remember, when the devil tempts Jesus, he doesn't lie about the scriptures, he just twists them. Yeah, And he says to Jesus, you know, uh, why don't you just, you know, if you're the son of God, why don't you just cast yourself down from this mountain? Just cast yourself down because it says, it says, you know, um, that his angels will take charge of you and you will not strike your foot against a stone. It said something like that. Jesus doesn't say, oh, no, you know, that's not true. It doesn't say that. Jesus says, don't test him. So he acknowledges there's this thing about angels and in this passage it talks about angels and the little ones. Now I don't want to overplay that but I do want to say there is a comfort for the believer. There is a comfort for the believer when you realise I'm not the only person about the protection of my children. I'm not the only one. It's not like if I forget, oh, no, I forgot to tell them to bring their keys. I forgot to tell them to take the money. I'm not the only one who is looking out for them. God looks out for them. And God appoints angels to look out for them. Yeah? The answer to that isn't to get too deeply theological or overly spiritual about it. The answer to that is say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord that you make provision. Where I cannot provide, you have provided. Now, if you're a parent, you don't want to say, but you'll know if you're a Christian parent, you'll think, do you know what? You're right, because there were moments when I knew I did not have what it took to look after my children, and I just prayed. And God over there looked after them. God stood in the gap. God did what I couldn't do. And you know that to be true. I know that to be true. I know that to be true of my own life. I know that to be true of my girls' lives. Yeah, that though one of them now is in South Africa and one of them is in Blackpool, of all places in the world to be. Blackpool? And I'm like, God, are you in Blackpool? (laughs) But you know there is a comfort that comes when you read a passage like that where Jesus says, they're angels. And he goes on to say, Their angels, it's very specific, their angels in heaven always see the face of my father. 
So what does that mean? Well, what could that be alluding to? One of the things I think that might allude to is that the angels in their ministering and maybe in their praying on behalf of those that they're appointed. I, I, don't, I don't understand it fully. I just know it brought comfort. It brought comfort to me as a parent that, oh God, yeah, wherever these girls go, Whatever they do, if they are believers, if they love you, if they come under the, uh, that, that grace that you exude, you will look after them. And Peter and Lucy, from this point, can go, Joel, God's got his hand on you. Not just he's got his hand on you because you're going to do great things, but he's got his hand on you. He's going to protect you. He's going to look after you. He's going to be looking out for you. It's not just mum and dad. There's a much bigger person who's involved. Oh, who's that, mum? It's God. He, he grows up knowing God looks out for me. And you know, if you're a parent, particularly if you're an older parent, you've got slightly older children, you'll know there are moments where you've thought, God looked out for them when I couldn't. You know that. And then it talks about, again, those that would wander away. So it talks about those that struggle with sin, and then it talks about those that wander away. If one of these sheep wander away, one of them wanders away, and it talks about the man who owns the sheep. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go out, look for the one that wandered off? Now remember, Jesus is talking to the disciples. This is not to the crowd. Yeah? Later in Luke, when there's a very similar passage about the lost sheep, it's very much about, um, if you like, the unbeliever. But here, he's talking about those who were once with him, who because of some reason, some sin, either committed by others in the community, by the world temptation outside the community, or by themselves, something that they have done, they have wandered. They've gone away from the faith. So they've gone outside, if you like, of that protection. They've, they've almost like turned their backs on him. That's the kind of person that we're talking about. They've left the flock. They've walked away from the shepherd. Now, if you think about that normally, not that we have sheep these days so much. Obviously, we still have sheep because we have mutton and lamb and all that kind of stuff. But we don't see them. You know what I mean? You have to go somewhere to see sheep. They're not around the corner. Yeah? But you, you, you get what I mean. If a sheep wanders off, you and I know that they are more vulnerable in that position. They just are. Yeah, sheep were never designed to be on their own. Do you know what I mean? They they kind of do everything as a as a like a flock. Yeah, we're going to go this way. Okay, we're all going to go over the hill together. We're all going to go down here together. They don't. They're not individual in that sense. And it's interesting that that is the picture that's used. We are not individual in that sense. Yeah, you might think you're individual, but you're not really. You might think it's about you, but it's not really about you. It's not really about you finding your destiny. That's not what it's about. It's about his destiny and him catching a community of people up in what he's doing. That's what it's about. It's not about you individually, oh, my, my thing. And that's not how God works. God works more like this. Sometimes sheep wander. And it's interesting and encouraging that when they wander, he gives the example of the shepherd leaves the other sheep to go and find the one that wandered. 
Yeah? And in this passage, the shepherd, it then says at the end of the passage, in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So the shepherd in this father is represented, represents God himself. God does not let people willingly wander off. God will always, always look. He will always seek you out. Always. Yeah? If you are his and you have wandered off, you will know that there are many, many coincidences in your life that you want to ignore because God has always got his eye on you. Always. If you have been, particularly if he knows this person has wandered off because of sin done to them in the body. Yeah, he talks about the millstone, don't cause them to sin, people. I am not happy if that happens. Now, if that happens and they wander off, God goes after them. Yeah, he leaves the 99, he leaves the 10, he leaves the whatever, and he goes after them. Now, that is quite amazing, really. Because remember, the God we're talking about is the God who created the universe, who holds the world in the palm of his hand. We're not talking about something that we've just set up. We're talking about the God who's over all things. He goes after you. And it may be that even in this room today, there are ones or twos who have wandered off. Well... Today you need to know he's calling you back. He is reaching out to you. He's saying, come back into the fold, into the flock, into the very provision I have made for your life. That's what he does. He himself looks Angels are ministering. Those angels are still there before the face of God. On your behalf. Oh God, he's wondered. And the church is there. Because we're going, do you know what? We want to commit ourselves not to cause our brother to stumble. This is why we need to be like children. Because children... When they wander and they hurt themselves, they come back to father or mother. Yeah? So be like a child if you have wandered. Come back to the father. That takes humility, but that's the way it works with God. Yeah? That's why who is the greatest ends up being, oh, I'm, I've got to be quite humble in this. Yeah? And that's why we have to change. Yeah, and these are Jesus' words. These are not my words. These are his words. And then it says that he, being God, or the shepherd, being God, is happier about that one sheep. The one sheep who wanders and who then returns makes him ever so, ever so happy. He is joyful. And you know that. There are other stories about that. The, 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 loss, the prodigal son. You see the, the joy of the father when the son returns. God is happy. And he's not happy because that individual is necessarily more valuable to him than all the other individuals. But oh, when one returns, the joy. 
maybe today you need to return. You didn't come to Brixton thinking you were going to be asked to return. But you may need to return. You didn't come this morning thinking, oh, yeah, maybe this is the day. But maybe this is the day that you need to return. You see, in God, the church, and I say that word, and for some of us, that means different things. For some of us, that term, the church, we go, doesn't mean anything to me. For others of us, it brings pain. For others of us, it brings joy, actually. We've discovered that in the church is where we find Jesus. And in the community is where we find grace. We find it in the church. For some of us, there's all sorts of stuff, history that affects it. But the church is like the flock. It's like the sheep. The 99, you can leave the 99 because by being together, they're protected. There's a shepherd over them. The one that's wandered off is now out on their own and they don't have a shepherd protecting them. That's why he goes out to bring them back. He doesn't go out to join them. Yeah, The shepherd doesn't go out and leaves the 99 and then just start something new with the one. He doesn't do that. He brings them back into the flock. It's where they're protected. It's where they're fed. It's where they find community. It's where they grow. It's where they discover who they are and what they're to do. It's through being in the flock, being in the body. It strengthens us for daily life. It helps us to withstand the pressures and temptations of the world. And you know as well as I do, they are strong and they are relentless. Yeah, Paulie and I watched a show last night. I won't say what it was, but we watched this show and I had a mini nightmare. I never have nightmares. Yeah. And I said to Pauline, I don't think I can watch that show. And I quite enjoyed the show. I said, I don't think I can watch that show anymore because, you know, it messed with my head. No, we're to be part of the community. It strengthens us for daily life. The flock and the community are the antidote to a number of things. They're the antidote to what we talked about at the beginning, the greatest, the competition, the individualism. The antidote to that is to be in the community. The antidote to loneliness is to be in the community. The antidote to stagnating is to be in the community because there you grow. You may not be able to be in this community because of where you live or whatever. Find a community. Find a community of God's people because what's the promise? Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. It's an antidote to all those things that are so pervasive in our culture. I imagine today more Christians backslide than ever before because our culture outside of the church is way, way too attractive for us. We cannot resist its tentacles, its temptations. And often we get drawn into things and we justify them and we rationalise them. But God wants to win you back, if that's you. And he wants to warm your heart if you've grown cold. He wants to feed you if you're hungry he wants to water you if you're thirsty. That's, that's what he's like. That's this thing about the father. That's why this passage talks about the father 
in heaven. That's not just a religious phrase that, we, that you speak in a prayer. It's the truth. God in heaven is a father. And he's better than any earthly father you'll ever have. Yeah, he's full of grace and kindness and mercy. So how should we respond to this? Just four very quick things, and maybe we'll have a song, Phil. Four very quick things. Will you change? Yeah, so that's, that's the first slight challenge to you. Will you change? Will you overcome and lose your natural and cultural tendencies for competition, individualism, and independence? Will you change? Because unless you change, Jesus says... You can't enter it. You'll miss out. Secondly, acknowledge that we all have a responsibility as a community to ensure that little ones don't wander, that we don't cause them to stumble. That is incumbent on all of us to do that. There's a responsibility that we have. Thirdly, there's this wonderful reassurance that the Bible gives that angels are before the face of God on our behalf and on behalf of our children. Oh, that's a comfort. That's a real comfort. And finally, our Father, and I emphasise Father who is in heaven, he's not willing for any to be lost. His, his heart, his motivation is to win back. Yeah? God doesn't respond to you as your sins would deserve. He should respond to you. He responds to you with grace. And he seeks to win you back. And today, there is an opportunity for being one. Today is an opportunity to be one. To be one back Maybe to be one for the first time because you didn't know. Oh, is that really the God that you worship about? <coughs> it is. And not only it is, that's definitely my experience. He's gracious and he's kind and he's merciful. That has been my overwhelming experience of God. Not distant and far off and difficult and hard. And the discipline, no, that's not what God is like. That's not the God I've come to know. So we're going to have an opportunity to respond. Maybe Phil and Ruth and Josh, if they're here, you want to come up, find a song. And we're just going to sing together, just as an opportunity to respond. Uh, why don't we all just stand together? Again, you may, not, this, you may not come to church regularly, so you don't do this. Um, and so I don't want to make this a big thing or a difficult thing. But we're going to sing as a, as a response. And then after we've sung and we've finished, then if you want to talk to somebody or you want to talk to me, you can just come forward and do that. But we'll, after we've sung, we'll close the meeting. So I'm just going to pray. <clears throat> Father, you, we, uh, we, we became aware last weekend, our weekend away, that there are, no, there are no coincidences in God. Nothing happens in you without a reason. And Lord, that 
really does relate to the fact that we are all here in church together today and we're hearing this message. That is not a coincidence. That is not just, oh, it's just one of those things. Lord, that is a divine appointment with the Father. And Lord, there is no excuse really for us not to respond because you are such a loving, gracious and kind God that you paid the penalty for sin. It's not something I have to pay. You paid it. All I have to do is to receive by faith what you have done. And so, Father, there may be those here today who have never accepted you as their Lord and Saviour. They've never said, Jesus, be my Lord. And, Lord, today is an opportunity for that person or those persons today. And Lord, there might be some here today who are here because maybe this is what they do or they've come because they've been invited to come and they wouldn't ordinarily come into church because maybe their hearts have grown cold over the years and they've been hurt and they've been damaged and now they stay away. And yet, God, there are no coincidences in you and so today is an opportunity even for that person to be won back to the Father back to the Father. So Lord, I ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, will move among the people here, even as we sing, and we'll sing and we'll end the song and then that'll be the end of the meeting. But if you want to talk to somebody, you want to pray, then you can just come down and we can talk and we can pray and you can do your business with God. You can receive the grace that is available to you this day. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.